What we learned from the preseason, hear from Will Hardy and his takes on the guard rotation, the rookies, what he had to say after the final preseason game. Plus, Hooper basketball player. Second annual rankings of the Hooper basketball player discussion here on the podcast. And finally, teams I'm in on. Under the radar teams that I'm in on that aren't those championship level tiers. Easy to come on an NBA podcast, say Denver. I think Jokic, that guy's pretty good. Yes, easy. But teams I'm in on, underneath the radar, might be pretty good, could threaten for conference finals, definitely second round teams. That right here on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm JP Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz and MLS number 3112, equal housing lender. Preseason ends on Thursday. Jazz lose to the Kings, but it's not about the result. Never has been about the result, but it has been about the guard rotation. And that's what we learned. What we learned about the guard rotation leads off any discussion of what the Jazz did this preseason. That first and foremost. And as far as the games and what you were able to watch, it's difficult to assess because every game was so different and weird and had different aspects to it. Hawaii, first game that you play. Seattle, game on one day's rest, not necessarily everything that you're going to see from the team. Early on in the preseason, there's definite fatigue that sets in on that one day's rest. Saturday against the Blazers is the closest thing that you'll get to it. But even then, there were test trials, figuring things out. Monday against the Breakers, it's a different level of competition, so everybody's going to play. Deep rotation's going to get some moments. Two ways are going to get their chance. And Thursday, a lot of resting players. Not everybody that plays that day will be on the regular rotation going forward. But this preseason, it was going to be about the guards. It's very different from where Jazz were last year. Mike Conley comes into this locker room. He would be undisputed in the starting lineup. Him and Jordan, easy decision. Put out Walker, Lowry, John Collins. That's your starting lineup. But this year's team doesn't have the luxury of a far and away, somebody's going to be the point guard, seize the moment guy. The pairs is what it comes down to. And as far as the pairs that you saw, there was the Colin Sexton, Taylor Horton, Tucker pair. There was the Jordan Clarkson and THT pairing that played on Saturday against the Blazers. There was Chris Dunn and Keontae George. There were different angles that you could look at how the backcourt played. But that's why it kind of makes sense with the reporting that happened this week, Jake Fisher over at Yahoo, about the Jazz exploring options for Taylor Horton Tucker. Jazz in Houston. It makes sense to 
lessen the roster crunch and allow more playing time for other players. Taylor Horton Tucker is driving personified. He goes to the rim, and the last year, he has a career high against the Spurs. He has a near triple double against Charlotte. He is playing with confidence. And if he hits his threes, there's even more to his game. And that pairing, him and Jordan Clarkson, Jordan, people know what he can do. He has all the tricks in his bag, but him and Jordan make sense together. And looking at the advanced stats, it works. They were plus nine according to cleaning the glass in them sharing the floor. And the most used lineup that they played with was a front court that featured Walker, Kelly, and Lowry, which is similar to what the starters group would be. You just swap out Kelly for John Collins. And it makes sense beyond the nerd numbers. Taylor Horton Tucker, he's the driver. Jordan Clarkson, he's the spacer. And then you have the front court that's entrenched. THT also might be the best lob thrower. And if you're playing with Walker Kessler and John Collins, lobs are going to be a steady diet. You're going to have to throw lobs to those two. The best way to utilize John Collins's athleticism is to get him out in space and hit him high. Hit him high for posters. He has a vertical ability that the Jazz haven't had for a while in terms of that freakish athleticism. So you see that duo against the Blazers? It works pretty well. They play their best preseason game of the entire stretch, and you think that group can work. But then you have Colin Sexton, who is back from injury. He provides defensive metal when he's playing with confidence, like he did on Thursday. He's pretty tough to beat. That no-look one-handed pass to THT underneath the rim. That seems pretty useful, but I I worry about him and Jordan Clarkson if they start next to each other, too much duplication. And I'm sure Jordan would be okay with coming off the bench because he did that earlier on in his career. He knows the value of coming off the bench and being Jordan Clarkson. But Colin Sexton is very similar in skill set. And I would feel comfortable him being on a second unit alongside a Chris Dunn, alongside a Keontae George. Chris Dunn. It's about damn time I talk about Chris Dunn. Because he should earn the Tyus Jones best backup point guard in the league trophy. The belt's up for grabs. Tyus Jones is in Washington now. He's no longer with Memphis. That's why I have so many concerns about the Grizzlies. But Chris Dunn. The way he organizes, the way he can get his own, the way he shoots his floater, he might be finishing at a clip that is unreasonable to expect because it seems automatic when he gets into the paint and he gets that floater off, him finishing with scoops. He is perfect to be a level head with a second group. And going back to that report by Jake Fisher... Makes sense that you would want to get him on the floor. He seems resurgent, even if it's on a non-guaranteed deal right now. I imagine he's going to be guaranteed, and they're going to have to fight other suitors to lock him up when it comes to his free agency heading into the summer. 
it's probably the reason why they're experimenting with so many multiple guard lineups. Chris Dunn was out there with three other guys. Keontae George, Colin Sexton, Ochai Abaji, Walker Kessler. Now, is that the way that you can play throughout every single game against every matchup? Maybe not. But as a wrinkle, as another thing that you can throw against the wall, being versatile, playing differently, them going with the one big Walker Kessler, it's a nice option to have. And for Walker, if he can do that, it is a big bet on his rebounding. Last year, rebounding-wise, he was still a rookie. As a second-year player, more is going to be expected of him. And same for Ochai. If he's playing the four, he's going to have to rebound too. But that would be a big bet on what Walker can do. What Walker can do out in space. What Walker can do as a defensive force alongside the multiple guard lineup. So keep that in mind as you continue watching. More driving lanes with that multiple guard lineup. And Keontae George, pretty comfortable playing with other guards. Played that sort of system in Baylor. Ultimately, who they decide to start might not be who finishes, but intrigue abound for who they start next Wednesday. Here's Will Hardy on the guard rotation. We could run the same action four times in a row and flip where the people are, and it's going to give you a different look and feel. Um, and that's definitely a luxury. I think point guard in general, um, yeah, when we all hear point guard, we have this like traditional picture in our head, and I think the game has changed. Um, the skill level of the NBA, in my opinion, has never been higher. Um, the dribble, pass, and shoot nature of all the guys in the league now is outstanding. Um, you know, in some ways, like the numbers one, two, three, four, and five aren't as much of a thing now as maybe they were 10 years ago, even five years ago. Um, so it, it's changed how we've had to think about you know, putting things in, especially on the offensive end. And our roster sort of exacerbates that a little bit because we have a lot of guys that on paper, you may say, play the same position. Um, but for us as a staff, we view that as an advantage and something that we're trying to exploit. Colin, obviously his first instinct is to drive the ball. Um, I think he's done a much better job of reading the defense, especially when they go underneath on pick and rolls. Um, Colin is a very efficient shooter. Um, he works really hard on his game. Again, another guy that when he gets his feet set, I think it's going in. Um, he's understanding more and more where those threes can come from. Um, he spent a lot of the summer working on not just shooting off the dribble, but based on our style of play, he's worked on shooting off the catch, moving a little bit um, because he may not always be the player with the ball. So, um, yeah, we, we believe in Colin's shooting. Like, he's... He knows that he has license to let it rip. Um, you know, we, we kind of operate here in general with a shoot it if you're open and pass it if you're not. Uh, you know, I think that Talon is a predominantly dribble drive player, um, puts a lot of pressure on the rim. Jordan's ability to catch and shoot um, and space the floor in a variety of ways, I think, is beneficial for Talon. Um, they for whatever the reason is, also seem to have a pretty good rapport on the court. Um, they look for each other. Talon understands, you know, as good as any of us do where Jordan's going. Um, 
And I think that they, they just showed last year they have a, a good dynamic when they play together. Um, that's not, you know, Jordan is also somebody that, in my opinion, can play with just about anybody. Um, but yeah, we, we looked at those numbers over the off season, and it's something that we're obviously exploring now. Then another thing learned. Keontae George is forcing Will Hardy to play him. And I say that in the best possible way. He was stellar in summer league. He used that to fuel the way that he played in open gym. And he's shown it in the preseason. You can tell he is violent when he's attacking the rim. He wants to take people's head off. He has no fear. And mind you, he was doing that against the team that I think he idolizes Russell Westbrook. I think that's his dude. And so to do it in front of him shows a lot of moxie and a lot of confidence, something that you love to see as you're boarding the hype train. He was the talk out of Hawaii with the way that he played, and I'm sure he's going to get a reality check at some point. Somebody's going to bust him up. Somebody's going to get him. Somebody's going to catch him. A veteran is going to take that youthful exuberance and use it against him. But I have no doubt, at least from the interactions that we have and from seeing various points of his preseason, that he can bounce back, that he won't back down, that he'll bust you right back. The way that he's willing to pass Deep bench players were playing alongside him. I think he was on the floor with Omer Yurtsevin, Lukas Savanich, some guys that might not necessarily be in the same rotation that he is. But it's close. It would be, if you're looking at regular season games, it would have been clutch time, last five minutes within five points. And he had a couple turnovers, but it didn't shake his confidence. He kept going, gets the ball stolen, but he won't back down. That goes a long way in fighting through a potential rookie wall, in fighting through the ups and downs of an NBA season. Because 19 years old, not everybody's ready for that. But Keontae George, I imagine him going to IMG Academy, away from his family in Texas, that helped. He probably is more adjusted to NBA life, playing alongside NBA players. He played alongside very talented players at Baylor in his own backcourt, probably makes him more comfortable in that three-guard lineup where they're playing only Walker Kessler as the center. He has it. And I get the hype train, and it makes sense that he's going full steam ahead. I can't wait to see how Will Hardy uses him because he's going to have to use him. And the idea is that he can be a lead guard in the future. The other rookies are the other thing that you learned. Taylor Hendricks... 60 minutes, 19 points, 3 of 12 from 3, 13 rebounds. He took a step in the right direction, especially with how he ended the preseason. Sacramento game, you know I look at FGAs, and he put up shots. He put up six three-pointers, made one. And there's a thing to him seeing activity, seeing him not be passive. There were moments during the preseason where you could tell he wasn't as confident in himself out there on the floor. And it probably lends to the fact that, I mean, a year ago, you think these 18-year-olds, all of them thought that they would be one-and-dones? Taylor Hendricks was a great recruit, four-star, 
played the high level, played alongside pros. But when you go to UCF and the season's starting, you're alongside your twin brother. Do you think that you're going to be a top 10 pick in the NBA draft the next year? I don't think that was in the cards. So he gets to this level, and him not immediately being ready to contribute on an NBA floor, that's not an indictment. That's a 19-year-old going through the struggles of being a pro. 19 years old. Him and Bryce Sensabaugh, they will have to get games. They have to use that experience. Because this isn't a Petri dish. The Jazz are not going to give away free minutes. You saw last season, Will Hardy wasn't going to just throw Ochai Abaji everything at once. He came along. It started with him in the G League, him playing in the rotation once the new year hit, him playing a simplified game in that run to the corner, hit shots, defend for your position. Then, post-trade deadline, add more to his plate. What else can you show? So just because Bryce Sensbaugh, Taylor Hendricks are going to be on a different trajectory and on a different path than Keontae George doesn't mean their careers are off track. We talked about it on the podcast about how Coach Wojo, three first-round draft picks, he's going to work with some of them. There just aren't enough minutes around to give three rookies spots with the NBA and spots on an NBA club with NBA veterans. Do you want to know how quickly Will Hardy could lose a locker room if he just inserted Taylor Hendricks, Bryce Sensabaugh, Keontae George in a starting lineup? Take a second, because Kelly Olynyk is a pro. Lowry Markinen is a pro. Jordan Clarkson has been around for a while. They know what NBA play is. If this is just a holding stop for them to other places and to just watch other guys get opportunities above them, then you won't have buy-in from them. You won't have good voices in the locker room. They won't come along and develop under a healthy locker room environment. And Will Hardy will lose him. I saw Coach Wojo. He's at the games. He's at practice. He's chomping, champing, whatever it is, at the bit to work. And with the Stars, it's the same offense. It's the same defense as the Jazz. So for Taylor, for Bryce, I don't know how much basketball they played. College season is shorter. EYBL, AAU, high school seasons, those are shorter than the NBA season. So they need to get more, more, and more reps. The more you do something, the better you can become at it. Taylor had an injury during Summer League. Him not having that experience, that first bite. I'm not saying it's everything, but I'm saying it's something. And the same goes for Bryce. He was injured during the pre-draft process. And him coming back to the court, trying to adjust to an NBA locker room, they both need those chances to screw up. To not have the pressure of an NBA franchise on your shoulders. And the G League, they'll get that. They'll be able to make mistakes. And you want to see them make mistakes. But them not playing at first doesn't mean 
that that's going to be the case for the rest of their careers. I think the G League worked for Ochai. You know, he as well as Keontae and Bryce, um, you know, they understand that this is this is not a quick process. This is not something where you just are immediately there where you want to be. It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to be hard. Um, I think they're all three up for that that task. Um, but it does make you feel good when you start to see somebody feel like they belong um, because the transition to the NBA is really hard um, from that standpoint. It's, it's easy to just say, oh, you should think or feel a certain way, but um, this is the best basketball league in the world and you're playing against the best players. And especially at their age, I think they've handled the transition well to this point. Oh, and finally, Hooper basketball player. Second annual rankings. I have the comparisons for last year. There are some changes. But this might be one of the most favorite things that I do. Putting these guys into the Hooper basketball context. A Hooper, of course, you know it when you see it. Basketball player, you can tell. Just learn from the examples. The number one Hooper's Hooper, the Hooper example that you give to trump all Hooper examples Jordan Clarkson, how about his summer? Going to the Philippines, playing in Manila. They had an arena that was filled to the gills, 50,000 people, and him giving an opportunity against China to go four minutes, 20 points, go off, and win a game in front of his home crowd, huge. If he had a David Beckham-style documentary... It would make sense. Is he a star off the court? He's a star on it. Loves fashion, dating a pop star. He is multitudes. He's a hooper's hooper. You see him in those summer runs against other pros. Everybody who you talk to says Jordan Clarkson is underrated in those runs. You go one-on-one with this guy, you don't know what he's going to do because I don't think he knows what he can do. When he's in the flow, nobody can stop him. Jordan Clarkson, Hooper of all Hoopers, and the one that leads the discussion of Hooper basketball player. As far as an example for a basketball player, I go to another person who played on his international squad, Walker Kessler. He's going to be a part of this program for a while, and you need basketball players to fill out the Hooper basketball player ratio on teams. If you're in one direction, that can not be good for your team. Houston Rockets might be too many hoopers. Basketball players, all heavily in that direction, might not have success that way. But Walker Kessler, as a basketball player, his summer was phenomenal playing for Team USA. Even if he didn't get on the floor for extended stretches, In the World Cup, he did start against Canada. That was huge. But even if he didn't play as much as Jordan, he gets experience with great coaches. Eric Spolstra, Steve Kerr. He worked a lot with Mark Few. I saw him in Vegas and he was taking threes. That might be a part of his diet this season. It might not be a bit. He's going to go to the corner and try and shoot. They made a couple in the preseason. The fact that he's willing to miss fact that he's willing to put up the shot goes a long way to telling you he's a pretty good basketball player. So in his second season, 
Walker Kessler, basketball player. Lowry Markinen, he was tough to categorize last season. Didn't necessarily know exactly what he was going to be, but coming out of a most improved player campaign, time with the Finnish national team, his military service, he can put up buckets on good efficiency. And for that, he's a hooper. The guy goes for 20 points on near 50, 40, 90 shooting. He does it with efficiency. He has the best season of his career. He was a welcome surprise from last season. And now the way that he's taken on the number one role is going to be a pivotal year in showing his leadership, in showing he can lead a team to winning. Lowry is a hooper. John Collins, the acquisition from the offseason, a player who the Jazz coveted for a while now. They finally get him. And with Will Hardy, he's not going to be standing in the corner like he was in Atlanta. This is going to be very active. It's going to have him all over the floor. He's not going to just, he's not going to be in witness protection. He's going to get chances. But I need to see more. Because he has the elements of both a hooper and a basketball player in him. He can rise above, dunk on your head. He can be in the corner, shoot threes, space a little bit. And he's a good ball mover. The ball doesn't stop with him. So this might be a cop-out. John Collins, Hooper and basketball player. Taylor Horton Tucker finished last season really impressively. 18-6-5. I already mentioned what he did against San Antonio and Charlotte. But I think what sets him over the edge as a Hooper, talking to him, he brought up the fact that he watched Pistol Pete videos growing up. And if you're watching Pistol Pete, you know a thing or two about hooping. Pete Maravich was a hooper. Taylor Horton Tucker's a hooper. Colin Sexton, back healthy and able to play. He's always going to put pressure on the rim. His workout habits are unmatched. This offseason, he was waking up at 7 a.m. just to get into the gym every single day. He is a crazy person when it comes to his diet. The road to get him back to where he's 100% healthy is respectable. I put him in the same camp as THT. He is a hooper to his core. And the 1v1 ability, his points per possession, not to go all nerd, top 10 in the league. Not that he was doing Luka Doncic's level of possessions. He was getting handed the keys like that. No. But the fact that he has sensational 1v1 ability, that goes a long way to determining if you're a hooper or a basketball player. And he's a hooper. Gone so heavy on that side. I think it's about time we talk about Ochai He can play not only the two, he can put him at the three. He's playing the four in those small lineups. Ochai Abaji has gotten the download from Summer League where he was given a lot of responsibility. He was told to take more shots, be more aggressive. He's developing, and for that, he goes with his other second-year mate, Walker Kessler. He's a basketball player. He knows how to fit in. I like that he can be a chameleon. His ultimate ceiling is Norman Powell. That's what, when you talk to people around the league, that's what they say. And in that respect, I put him here as a basketball player. Kelly Olenek, 
This is an interesting one because Kelly Olynyk. initially you would think basketball player. That's where he was last season on the rankings. But Kelly, you have to remember, got married in a snapback. Will play basketball in a snapback. Will do interviews in a snapback. He is a part of the snapback lifestyle. And for that, he becomes a hooper. His pass fakes, his pump fakes, his willingness to be not only the facilitator but the finisher. Kelly Olenek can do it all. So he gets labeled all. Both a hooper and a basketball player. Chris Dunn. You'd say a lot of the same things about Chris Dunn that you said about Kelly Olenek. He can facilitate. He can finish. He is said to have the best crossover on the team. You ask other players. That's what they say. He is a huge voice in the locker room, much like Kelly. He's helping all the guards with what they do. He's seen some things. Former top five pick. He knows what expectations are bound, but he's refined his game to do exactly what are his strengths. Finishing around the rim. Playing defense. I love his personality. I love the way he plays. And for that, he is both. Hooper and basketball player. Chris Dunn. Simone Fantecchio had a really good FIBA World Cup where he's playing a different role for the Italian national team. He was averaging 18 points per game. You could see him get off a little bounce. He had the alley-oop against the Kings. He was also dunking in the World Cup, so this isn't entirely a surprise. But flashing those moments where he can create, where he's unleashed, Simone, if he's shooting his three, he is providing spacing. He was also the other option at the four in those small lineups with Walker or Kelly. Simone's both, a hooper and a basketball player. Omer Yurtsevin. On a non-guaranteed deal, he dealt with injuries with the Heat last season. He had that huge flashpoint in Summer League where everybody was excited about him. He had a good preseason. It's a reason I'm in the Yurt Hive. Omer Yurtsevin will grab rebounds with reckless abandon. Offensive, defensive. He has a nose for the ball. And he's good post moves. So for that, basketball player. Luka Samanich got the opportunity on a 10-day last season. He's with the team right now. Played in Summer League. Can do a lot of things. I don't necessarily see him as an isolation player, but he had some pretty good drives during Summer League. And if he gets an opportunity to see how he matured from when he first met Will Hardy, he talks about that a lot. Luka's both. He's a hooper and a basketball player. To the rookies. Keontae George. The guy showed so much during preseason. I've already exhausted every single talking point. He has his own hype train. The way he responds after turnovers, not getting his head down. I love his mentality. He's a basketball player. Bryce Sensabon, Taylor Hendricks. I need more tape. I need to see more out of them. They need to get more opportunities. But Taylor Hendricks has the trajectory of being a 3-and-D player. He needs confidence when he gets playing time in the G League. He'll have all the opportunities for it. Bryce Sensabaugh, you can tell he can score. Did that against the Breakers and, frankly, did that at Ohio State. 
Chris Dunn described him as a smooth operator. So I'll say they're both, hoopers and basketball players. There you have it. Without the two ways, the breakdown of the Jazz is hoopers or basketball players. Give me some feedback. Who's a hooper? Who's a basketball player on the Jazz? Who are your favorite hoopers and basketball players? And once again, a hooper. You know it when you see it. Finish up with teams I'm in on. It's exactly what it says in the title. These are teams I'm in on. Irrationally, teams I believe in. It's not in the same category as the succession trust rankings. There's a clear championship tier. Milwaukee, Boston, Denver, throw LA in there, Phoenix. That's the championship tier. It's easy to be in on those teams. But what about other teams? What about the squads that might be threatening for conference finals appearances that when you talk to a guy like Jeff Van Gundy, he says, you're a sprained ankle away from a finals appearance. You could, if everything goes right, eek into the finals. So the tier that includes Miami, not that I'm saying that I'm in on them, but Miami would be in this tier. Teams that I am in on. It starts in the Western Conference. I've already talked about them on the podcast. Oklahoma City. Yes, a lot of people are in on Oklahoma City. I'm joining them. I am on that same bandwagon. Because maybe it's just Summer League, we get the first opportunity to watch Chet Holmgren, but I'm all in. I caught him there. I caught him at USA Basketball Camp in Las Vegas going against Walker. You talk to people about Chet Holmgren, and he is everything that you want modern big. He has the tools, and he has a little dog in him. He'll go after you. He'll talk. He will get tested, and he will test right back. He's an addition for that OKC squad. That was pretty good last year, and they have an all-NBA player. Shea is awesome, and when it comes to the playoffs where analytics get thrown out the door, you're in a tight game, last five minutes, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is an easy person to say, I need a bucket. So, OKC, I'm in. Then I go to the Eastern Conference, and it may be a product of them embarrassing the Cleveland Cavaliers. But I'm all in on the Knicks. They added Dante DiVincenzo to their Villanova mafia that they've got building. Jalen Brunson is the perfect person to give added responsibility I enjoy that Julius Randle seems to have a combative relationship with New York Knicks fans and will go game to game with how he feels about them and how they feel about him. I was so impressed by Mitchell Robinson and the way that he played in the playoffs. He punked Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. He was grabbing 20 rebounds. They made him look like Truck Robinson for the real jazz heads out there. They haven't gone all in on a star. They have enough picks and young players to go after that star if he becomes available. And I like that they haven't nicked. They haven't done the stupid thing. They've kept and maintained. And that's going to be the biggest thing when it comes to their overall long-term success. Final I'm in team. And it's funny because the Jazz just played them. I'm in with the Sacramento Kings. 
I love the seven-game series that they played against the Warriors. Golden State had to do everything they needed to get past them. I am a little concerned how crazy Kevon Looney went on DeMontis Sabonis, but I give him grace because Sabonis, he had a hand injury last year. The fact that he has the grit to get through that play, he's a discount Jokic in the way that he facilitates. You have Fox as a great clutch performer. Shout out to the Clutch Award. And then they added the EuroLeague MVP, Sasha Vizankov. Sign me up. I am in. They should be a regular season wins machine, which should give them high seeding. And because of that high seeding, I see them as a second round team. They should be around better than they were last year. I like when Malik Monk goes off every fourth game. They got the perfect coach in Mike Brown, who came into this league as a defensive guy and now has revolutionized himself as an offensive guru. Jordy Fernandez is on that staff, who's phenomenal. I'm all in on the Sacramento Kings. So there you go. Teams that I think could make a run in the playoffs, could make some noise, all those cliches. I'm in on the Kings, Knicks, and Thunder. Sue me. Five stars. Nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. Justin Zanuck joins me on the next pod. What went into the offseason acquisition of John Collins? How? Oh, how? Did the Jazz get Jordan Clarkson on an extension? Didn't imagine he would be here after that player option that he opted into. And how do you find these rookies? What were the questions he asked them during the draft combine? I'll ask all of that. I'll set you up for the regular season coming up on Wednesday. It's coming here. It's coming fast. And I got you covered right here on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com.